0: Hi, friends. We're on Chapter 21, A Very Long Night. It was Jane who thought of taking the battery out of the car. She read about it once while researching a Sabrina Star book. Skye found out how to do it by going across the street and asking Nick to demonstrate on his parents' car. Roslyn wanted to be the one to do the actual taking out, since, as oldest sister, she should be responsible for the part that was sort of illegal. But when the whole schedule was written out, she realized that the battery removal and fetching of Ben had to be done at the same time. And nobody thought that Skye should be sent for Ben. So Skye works on the car, Rosalind and Batty go next door to get Ben, and I make sure Daddy doesn't come downstairs before Skye is ready, said Jane. The plan was to be set in motion any minute, as soon as their father emerged from his study and went upstairs to get dressed for the Gala event. And the sisters were going to go and the sisters were going over the details one last time. There hadn't been much time for practice, as they had to lay low and look innocent until Aunt Claire went home, and Rosalind was afraid people would forget their parts. Skye, how will you let Jane know you're ready, she asked. I go upstairs and tell her she'd better clean her half of the room or I'll kill her. Skye anxiously tugged at her sweatshirt. She had several essential tools tucked into the waist of her jeans, and she was worried that her father would notice the odd lumps. Rosalind turned to Batty. There had been some discussion about Batty being the weak link, but she was needed. Besides, her future too was in the balance. Now Batty, remember that as soon as we get to Ianthas, you go to the window and watch for Daddy to come out of our house and get into the car. What's your spy code? Bugman. And you absolutely will not say Bugman until Daddy's really and truly in the car. Even if I say Bugman, I won't say so. There's no Bugman, Sky rattled off automatically. Rosalind shushed her. Bugman, as the spy code, didn't please her either, but it was one they could be sure Batty would remember. Anything else, she asked. Ready for phase one to initiate? The oath, everyone. The sisters formed a circle and joined hands. For the Penderwick family honor, they said in unison, just as their father came out of his study. Macbeth's witch... "'Macbeth's Witches, right here in my own living room,' he said. "'There were only three of them,' said Rosalind, "'wishing that she didn't look as guilty as she knew she did. "'Time to go get ready for the gala, Daddy,' said Jane brightly. "'I think I'll come up and talk to you through your door while you dress.' "'Why?' "'He settled his glasses firmly on his nose and looked through them at her. "'To keep you company, of course,' she said with a look of shock and sadness "'that almost fooled her sister's. "'even though they knew exactly what she was doing. "'She did fool their father, "'who kindly put his arm around her "'and led her toward the steps. "'She'd be fine up there, Rosalind knew. "'They put together a list of topics "'for her to introduce as stalling techniques, "'including her new Sabrina Star book. "'Jane could go on forever about Sabrina Star "'without any effort at all. "'Now it was up to the rest of them. "'They shoved Hound into the kitchen with a bone "'to keep him quiet, then ran outside. "'The daylight had almost faded,' which they hoped would give them enough cover. Heaven forbid, Iantha looked out a window and saw them stealing their own battery. When they reached the car, Skye popped open the hood. "'It doesn't look like the Geiger's car,' said Skye, shocked. "'Everything's in a different place!' "'Can you still do it?' Rosalind bit at her fingernails, which she never did, while Skye poked around, muttering strange words like alternator and fuel injector and electronic ignition. "'Yes,' Here's the battery, she said finally, then extracted an adjustable wrench from under her sweatshirt. She looked less anxious now, and already had an impressive smear of grease across her forehead. They really should teach us this stuff in school, much better than the stupid Aztecs. Rosalind wasn't going to get into any more discussions about the Aztecs for now, and she hoped forever. She took Batty's hand and headed next door, abruptly realizing that she'd been so busy organizing everyone else She hadn't planned how to keep Iantha from leaving her house too early. Please don't be ready, she said, ringing the doorbell. But Iantha was ready, and... You look lovely, said Rosalind with a little gasp. She was telling the truth. Iantha was magnificent, goddess-like, Rosalind told Anna later, in a flowing silk dress of a mysterious blue-green The color of the sea just before sunset. Her hair, too, was stunning, swept up in an elegant twist, and she was wearing a heavy gold necklace with dark red stones. Thank you. Iantha's old shyness seemed to be back. That is, are you sure? Yes. Oh, yes. It's not too much for giving a speech. I loathe giving speeches. Thank goodness the speeches come first and I can get it over with. Oh, dear. She looked around her. Have I lost Ben? He's with Batty, looking out the window. Of course he is. Then I guess I'm ready to leave. But since Batty had not yet said the spy code, Iantha had to be kept inside. So Rosalind made her go everything that Ben would need that evening, even though they'd already discussed it that afternoon. What he could eat for supper, what time he should be put to bed, and what he should wear when he put there and how Iantha had packed his things in a little overnight bag and that she would leave her front door unlocked in case she had forgotten anything, but that Rosalind should be very careful not to let Asimov out if she did have to go into the house. After they'd gone through all that, because Batty still had not set the spy code, Rosalind opened the overnight bag and slowly and carefully inspected every item it held. Two jars of baby food, two pairs of pajamas, three diapers, a red duck, a yellow duck, an extra pair of socks. Tommy! shrieked Batty. Rosalind rushed over to the window. Had Batty gotten the spy code wrong after all? But no, it was really Tommy she'd seen, going into his house. Batty, you don't have to let us know every time Tommy comes home. Rosalind smiled sheepishly at Iantha, hoping it hadn't looked as though she were desperate for a glimpse of that most annoying boy. How is he? Asked Iantha. I don't know. He's not talking to me. I'm sorry. It's hard when you stop being friends with someone after such a long time. You must miss him. Rosalind tried to summon an ironic laugh as a polite way to tell Iantha that missing Tommy was a ridiculous concept, but somehow the laugh stuck in her throat, and before she had to wonder why, Batty shrieked out again, Bugman! setting off a storm of cheers from Ben. Thank goodness. Phase one of the plan was complete. I'm all set, Iantha. Rosalind zipped up Ben's bag. We can go. Now for phase two, which would make removing a battery and stalling Iantha look easy. Bracing herself, Rosalind opened the front door, letting out Batty and Ben first, who hopped down the steps quite pleased with themselves. Then Iantha, who drifted gracefully beside them looking even more lovely in the soft twilight of the evening. One glance over to the Penderwick's driveway, and Rosalind could see that everyone was exactly on schedule. Her father was in his car, the car's engine was not on, and Skye and Jane were looking close by, pretending to look concerned. Good. Rosalind executed the prearranged signal, that is, she scratched the top of her head. On cue, Jane waved and shouted, Yoo-hoo! Daddy's car won't start! The sisters had discussed at great length how to get Iantha across her driveway and over to their own. Would Rosalind have to insist? But no. Iantha without hesitation, glided in exactly the direction she was supposed to go. Rosalind followed with Batty and Ben, watching and holding her breath. Now her father was getting out of the car. This was a crucial moment. If he looked under the hood, he'd see that the battery was missing, and he'd want to call the police to report a robbery, and all would be lost. "'Come on, Sky," thought Rosalind, still following Ayantha. "'It's time for your next line.' Skye came through perfectly. She blocked her father's way to the front of her car. "'Don't open the hood, Daddy. You'll get your suit dirty. Right, Jane?' "'Right, Skye. "'And besides, maybe what's wrong with the car is a computer glitch anyways.' And they're hard to see. Yes, a computer glitch is possible, like with a bad sensor. Their father was still trying to get to the hood. When did you two learn so much about cars? He got past Skye only to run into Jane. Magazines, she said wildly. What magazines? Rosalind, right behind Iantha, knew that Jane was close to breaking. Next, she'd be nattering about who knows what, and their father would get suspicious and the plan would fail. But Iantha was almost in place. If only she would say something before Jane got going. Say something, Iantha, prayed Rosalind. Please say something. Hello, Martin, said Iantha. What's the trouble? He turned toward her. The car keys fell out of his hand. Skye dove for them and shoved them deep in her pocket. But she needn't have bothered hiding the keys. As Jane said later, Daddy had stopped noticing anything but Iantha in her dress. And Iantha, seeing him notice her so completely, had gone still and so quiet that she might have been a statue. "'Daddy, is it true that the car won't start?' Rosalind gently hinted when the silence had gone on for too long. "'No. I mean yes,' her father answered, like he was coming out of a dream. "'The girls tell me it could be a a computer glitch.' "'Ah, a computer glitch.' breathed Iantha, clearly having no idea what she was saying. Rosalind tugged on Batty's hand. They'd given her yet one more line, even though it was a vital one, because fewer suspicions would be aroused if Batty said it. Batty knew what the tug meant. She stood tall and spoke proudly. Iantha, she said, could you take Daddy in your car? Iantha murmured something, and her father murmured something else, and he held out his arm to her like a true and honorable gentleman, his daughters agreed later, and she shyly took it. And then together, after only vague goodbyes to their children, they drifted back over to Ianthe's house and got into her car. Phase two complete, said Rosalind, picking up Ben. Let's get some supper. When supper was over and Rosalind was in the bathroom with Ben, washing applesauce off his face and hands and out of his hair, Batty went to her bedroom to get ready for her first Almost sleep over. She wished Ben could stay the whole night, but even so, it was terribly exciting having him just fall asleep in her room, and she wanted it to be right for him. She took all her stuffed animals off the bed and piled them in the corner, since no one likes sleeping with someone else's stuffed animals. She made sure the closet door was shut, just in case Ben was afraid of monsters. And finally, because it was a special occasion, she selected her favorite ties from the one Jeffrey had given her and wrapped them around her waist, then wrapped several of her not-so-favorite ties around Hound's legs. In the meantime, Hound went on with his own preparations, unearthing the bone he'd left under the bed a week ago, just in case Ben was the type of boy to steal a dog's bone. Now, Batty and Hound were both ready. Side by side, they waited patiently until Rosalind carried a clean and sleepy Ben, with his red hair sticking up in damp spikes. "'Time for a story,' said Batty. "'What do you think Ben would enjoy?' asked Rosalind. Batty had thought long and hard about this and had decided he'd probably most enjoy his story about Batty. "'Let's tell him about when Sky dropped me in the waves at Cape Cod and I almost drowned.' "'I'm not sure that's the most soothing bedtime story for a little boy. "'He wants to hear it, don't you, Ben?' "'Duck.' see, Rosalind, that means yes. Once upon a time, there was a brave little girl named Duck, said Ben again. Duck, duck. You mustn't interrupt, said Batty. Once upon a time, there was a duck, 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 duck. Brave little girl named Batty. Stop shouting, Batty, said Rosalind. Ben's crying. It was true. He was crying and rubbing his eyes with his fat fists. Rosalind rocked him. "'and Batty patted him on the head, "'feeling like her sleepover was getting off to a bad start. "'She felt so bad about it that she took not Funty, "'because Funty didn't feel safe with anyone but Batty or Hound. "'Sedgwick the horse from the corner and handed him to Ben. "'But Sedgwick only made him cry more. "'So she tried Ursula the bear, "'but Ursula was no better than Sedgwick, "'and then at last Batty figured it out. "'He must want one of the ducks from his room.' Rosalind looked in the bag Auntha had sent along and brought out the red duck and the yellow duck, but neither of them stopped his tears. Your white duck, Batty asked him. He nodded vigorously and clung to her as if a life raft in a cold sea. He needs his white duck, she told Rosalind. From long experience with younger sisters, Rosalind knew there was no point in arguing. If Ben needed his white duck to go to sleep, she had to go next door to get it. All right, she said. You two stay here. I'll send in Sky in to help with stories. But when she got to her sister's room, Skye was out on the roof with her binoculars. Tell stories? Are you kidding? She said when Rosalind leaned out the window and asked for help. It's just for a few minutes. Anyways, you'll be the OAP, so you have to. OAP meant oldest available Penderwick and it carried great responsibilities. However, Skye stated emphatically that she didn't consider storytelling to be one of those responsibilities. Rosalind turned next to Jane, who was at her desk writing. Jane, Jane, she said, Jane! Jane tore herself away from her blue notebook. Listen to this. Rainbow and Sabrina Starr joined hands across the centuries too brave and bold spirits sworn to, sworn to, rats. What are they sworn to? Uphold something or other. Jane, could you tell stories to Batty and Ben while I go next door for a duck? All right. She stood, taking her blue notebook with her. I'll read them my new book. They'll enjoy that. Thank you, said Rosalind. She put on a jacket before going outside, for the daylight was long gone now and Gardam Street was dark and chilly. It was the kind of delicious chilliness, though, that was good for thinking about how winter wasn't far away, and snow, and Christmas. Rosalind shivered pleasurably, and thought about all that, and thought, too, before she could stop herself, about how much fun it would be to buy Christmas presents for Ben. And then she did stop herself. for who knew what would happen with her father and Iantha? If tonight went badly... They might never speak to each other again. And then there'd be no Ben at Christmas. Oh, please don't let it go badly, she whispered into the darkness. And back from the darkness came not an answering whisper, but an orange cat streaking wildly across the grass before disappearing into the forsythia. Asimov, she called. But she knew him well enough to know that if he didn't want to come, no calling would change his mind. Rosalind frowned. Not for worry, for the silly cat always came home. But because it made no sense that he'd managed to escape. Had Iantha left a window open? Or had Asimov actually learned to open the front door? If Rosalind had been a nervous person, this would have made her nervous. But a moment later she forgot about Asimov, because all of her attention was being used up on pretending she didn't notice the Geiger brothers driving up Gardam Street and pulling into their driveway. She pretended so well not to notice that she would have sworn it never happened. But all the pretending fell apart when Tommy ran across the street and stood in front of her and looked at her even. She looked back at him. Then he even talked to her. I want to tell you something. You don't have to listen, but I'm going to tell you anyway. He had a football with him, which which he was anxiously tossing from one hand to the other, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and back and forth, until Rosalind took it away from him. "'I can't listen while you do that,' she tucked the football under her arm. "'Now what?' "'What?' "'Tommy!' "'Oh, sorry.' He gulped a few times, then calmed himself by fixing his gaze on the football. Trilby and I broke up today. That is, I broke up with her because... Never mind why. "'Why?' I said, never mind why. Fine. I don't care anyway. Because she was boring. Unfortunately, I couldn't tell her that. So she may have gotten the idea that I broke up with her because of you. Even though I definitely told her that you're just my neighbor. And even though you're prettier now than you used to be. I hardly ever notice and... Rosalind interrupted him. You think I'm pretty? I guess so. I mean, Nick says so. "'Actually, a lot of guys say so. "'And don't ask me what guys.' "'All right. Good grief. "'So that's all I wanted to tell you. "'I'll leave now.' "'Rosalind was certain she shouldn't let him go "'without saying something kind about Trilby in the breakup, "'though she didn't know why she was certain, "'and she didn't know what to say even if she knew why. "'She puzzled over it for what seemed like a long time "'while Tommy kept his gaze on the football. "'Finally,' she said, I'm glad you broke up with her. I mean, not because I missed you or anything. You didn't miss me. It wasn't a question. Gosh, no. Maybe a tiny bit, but no, probably not. Of course. I didn't expect you to miss me. No, of course you didn't. Rosalind shook her head to emphasize how little anyone would have expected that to her. I'm sorry, but I'd better go. I have to get a duck. If Tommy had hoped for more than that, he didn't let on. He took his football and walked away, and Rosalind was once more alone in the chilly night. She shivered again, not so pleasurably as before, and reached for Iantha's doorknob. Before she could turn it, the door flew open on its own. What was this? Was Iantha home already? How could that be? But no, it wasn't Iantha who had opened the door. It was a man Rosalind had never seen before. A not very big man, but a grown-up man nonetheless, with large glasses. He must be a friend of Iantha, she thought, or why would he be coming out of her house? Oh, this explained about Asimov. Hello, she said pleasantly. I guess it was you who let Asimov out. Who's Asimov, he asked, shoving something under his coat as though to keep her from seeing it but since it didn't fit all the way under his coat, she saw it anyway. "'Iantha's cat, of course,' she said, politely, because she still wasn't suspicious. "'But why are you hiding her computer under your coat?' "'It's my computer,' he said. "'With duck stickers on it?' The man looked scared, and for a moment Rosalind felt sorry for him, because he was a pathetic little person. But then at last... She understood that this was no friend of Iantha's, and her pity turned to anger. People didn't steal from each other on Gardam Street, pathetic or not. Give it to me. I won't. You have to. She reached out, and he pulled the computer out of his coat as though he would comply. But it was a trick, for instead of handing over the computer, he thrust it at her so hard she stumbled backward and fell, since even pathetic little men could be stronger than twelve-year-old girls. And then he was running away, taking Iantha's precious computer with him. Rosalind scrambled to her feet. She would rush after him and creep and exact her revenge, Iantha's revenge, though she wasn't quite sure how she would do that on her own. But she didn't have to do it on her own, because here came sailing through the air a football, aimed not at a leaping wide receiver who would carry it triumphantly over the goal line, but at a little man who was running for his life. Rosalind, delighted, watched as, touchdown! The football made contact. The man stumbled, slowing down just enough to be caught and tackled by Cameron Middle School, number 86. For the second time in two days, Rosalind's world up and shook itself. And when it had settled down, everything was different again. She now knew how blind and stupid she'd been about Tommy. How could she have been so annoyed with him? He was old Tommy, always had been, always will be, and that was just right for her. "'Nice tackle,' she told him ecstatically. He stood up and brushed off his pants. "'Now tell me whether you missed me, Rosie.' "'Oh, Tommy, I did miss you. I missed you this much,' she answered, her palms six inches apart. The man on the ground tried to sit up, and Tommy pushed him back down. "'How much?' Okay, this much. She resisted, throwing her arms as wide as they could go. Maybe you and I could date when we're older, said Tommy, trying to look nonchalant and failing horribly. Like when we're fourteen. Fourteen now seemed a long time to wait. Thirteen, I think. January for me and April for you. Now the man snorted sarcastically, but they didn't notice. For Tommy was too busy grinning like a fool at Ros- Rosalind, and she was too busy enjoying him doing it and they were both ridiculously happy they could have kept that up forever if eventually they hadn't begun to wonder what to do about their captive, neither wanted to leave the other alone with him to go for reinforcements, and they had their first argument since their reconciliation, but it wasn't a true argument, and they made up just and they made up just as the noise of the Penderwicks' front door slamming echoed through the neighborhood. My sisters are coming," said Rosalind to Tommy. He leaned down and bravely kissed her on the cheek. Don't forget, you're waiting for me until we're both thirteen. She just as bravely kissed him back. I won't forget. And then Skye arrived. If she'd noticed the kisses, she was for once diplomatic enough not to mention it. I saw it all from the roof. Great pass, Tommy. Thanks. I broke up with Trilby last night. Good work. Welcome home. Skye put her foot on the man's neck, afraid made signs of trying to get up again. Don't move, jerk. Next to come was Jane, with Ben riding piggyback on her shoulders. Who is this villain? She looked with scorn on the fallen. We don't know yet. He's trying to steal Iantha's computer, said Rosalind, plucking Ben off Jane. He was wearing one of Batty's sweatshirts over his pajamas and a pair of her kangaroo socks. Not only did he seem to have forgotten about his missing duck, he looked delighted. He'd never had an adventure like the one he was having tonight. Last came Batty and Hound, their neckties streaming. Hound took his natural place by the man's head and barred his teeth alarmingly. Batty crouched down next to Hound and looked at the man, and he looked back at her. He spoke first. "'You again! You're everywhere!' "'Hello, bug man!' she said." Batty, how many times do I have to tell you there's no. Sky stopped mid sentence. Her mouth was open. Was it possible that Bugman wasn't just a figment of Batty's imagination? Batty, is this really Bugman? asked Rosalind. He doesn't look like much, said Jane. He's scarier with his sunglasses on. Batty didn't want anyone to think he, she was a coward. Excuse me, I'm right here, said the man. Don't interrupt the ladies, said Tommy, and Hound barked menacingly, too, for good measure. So this guy really is Bugman, Skye was still doubting. Also Sockman, said Batty. Spock, not Sock, you annoying child, but actually I am Nir- Norman Burnbound. He said it like he was saying Albert Einstein. The name Norman caught Jean's attention. She turned to the others. Now I know who he is. He's the nut that thinks Iantha stole his research. That's why he took her computer. He was stealing her research so that he could pretend it was his nasty thief. I am neither nut nor thief, and Iantha did steal my research, and I've been trying for weeks to find the right opportunity to take it back. I will be vindicated. You know nothing about it, so don't argue with me. Sky leaned down and looked him full in the face. She understood now. This guy was just weird enough to actually be Batty's bug man. We won't argue with you. I will simply tell you this. Iantha is a genius. She doesn't need to steal from pinheads like you. So not only have you been stalking my neighborhood and frightening my baby sister. I'm not a baby, interrupted Batty. Sky plugged on. You're also making disparaging remarks about a woman who was on a first date with my father, a date that we worked very hard to make happen. I myself had to steal a car battery, and that's not as easy as people make it sound. "'You see, Mr. Bugbomb,' said Jane, "'Iantha is a potential Penderwick.' "'As is this handsome baby,' said Rosalind, and kissed Ben's cheek for good luck. Skye jerked her head up, for she hadn't thought of that, and grimaced at Ben, who waved happily back. "'So, team,' said Tommy, "'what are we going to do with Norman here?' Let me go, of course, he said. I've done nothing wrong, and you are mere children. Mere children, ha, said Jane. I say we tie up the knave and then discuss his fate. Since everyone thought this was a good idea, Batty and Hound donated Jeffrey's neckties, and soon Bugman, a.k.a. Sock or Spock, a.k.a. Norman Burnbound, was bound hand and foot. Jane, Batty, and Hound then took a few minutes to be Aztec priests calling for blood, until Rosalind quieted them down. Norman was slime, but that was no reason to terrify him. Then came a long discussion about what to do next. No one wanted to interrupt the precious first date going on at the university. But, except for Skye, no one believed they should call the police all on their own. Jane's suggestion of throwing Norman in their basement so that he could dwell on his sins was rejected outright, "'We'd better call Daddy and Iantha,' said Rosalind finally. "'They need to call the police, not us. "'Their speeches came first, so we'll just be interrupting their dinner.' "'Their romantic dinner together.' "'Jane frowned at Norman, lying there in neckties. "'This is all your fault.' "'All agreed, then,' asked Tommy, and Skye ran off to make the phone call. "'Rosalind was perched at the top of the steps, waiting for her father to come inside.' Her sisters had gone to bed, but tired as she was, she knew she couldn't fall asleep without hearing how it had all ended, with Norman, and the police, and with Iantha. Now Rosalind heard the front door open and close, and was about to call to him quietly, but he was already coming up the steps, for he knew right where she'd be. "'What's going to happen to Norman?' she asked. "'We don't know yet. Iantha told the police she thinks he's more confused than dangerous.' but lawyers will have to straighten it out. He sat down and put his arm around her. Did he frighten you badly? Only for a second, until I realized he was more afraid than I was. And then, once Tommy was there, I couldn't be frightened any more. Thank goodness for Tommy. Yes, she snuggled closer to her father. We've decided to start dating when we're both 13. Isn't that good? The best. Optimus. Tommy's a good person. He'll make a great son-in-law. Daddy! Sorry. She rested her head on his shoulder to show that the joke was forgiven. And then they sat there, on the top of the steps, father and oldest daughter, at peace with their world and with each other. I've missed this, he said quietly. You do know how much I love you, don't you? Yes, Daddy. And do you know? Well, I know anyway. "'that I've relied on you too much since your mother died. "'I've been remembering how concerned she was "'about you trying to fill in, her, fill in for her "'and how I promised I wouldn't let you "'become too grown up and responsible. "'I'm afraid I didn't keep that promise well enough, Rosie. "'It's no wonder you hated the idea "'of me bringing a new woman into our lives. "'As gratifying as this was, "'a few days ago, Rosalind would have given anything "'to hear her father say these things.' The conversation was going in the wrong direction. She and her sisters hadn't bothered to steal a battery and maneuver two oblivious adults into one car for it to all end like this. Maybe hate is too strong a word, she said. Or new. Maybe new is too strong a word. Sweetheart, you're so tired you're not making sense. Time for bed, yes? No, wait, she was desperate. You haven't told me yet whether you and Iantha enjoyed being together tonight. I mean, before we called you about Norman. No Cruciatus, right? And you know how much we all like Iantha, right? Excuse me? Oh, you do like her too, don't you? By now, Rosalind was almost babbling. We were almost positive, but don't have that much experience with this kind of thing. And we're sorry about the car, but Skye thinks she put the battery back the right way. He unwrapped her her arm so she, he could look at her properly. What are you talking about? Why, are you dating Iantha, of course? Oh. He stared off into space for a long moment. But what was that about the car? Nothing. Maybe I should look under the hood in the morning. Maybe you should. But please, about you and Iantha. You did enjoy being together, didn't you? We did indeed. And, Rosie, I'm lost here. Please speak slowly and clearly to help out your old father. Are you saying that you and your sisters won't mind if I date Iantha? Will we mind? No, Daddy. She wrapped her arms around him again, this time so tightly he couldn't get away. We'll think it's wonderful. That's the end of that chapter, friends. Um, (laughs) Before I say goodbye today, I feel like I have to uh say this to you. If you are ever in a situation <laughs> where you are maybe babysitting or alone and you run into someone who has broken into a house, do not tie him up in neckties and stand around thinking about what to do. Call the police right away. Do not follow what these sisters did in this chapter. That is not a safe choice. Um, That's all. Have a good day.